Lord, we just thank you so much that, uh, again, we have gathered together as your people who have been called to you through your Son, Lord, that uh, uh, we are allowed to know you and enjoy you and enjoy one another through you, Lord, all because of your desire to magnify and glorify your name through your Son. Lord, I pray as we look at that specific issue today, Lord, that we would be impressed with you and we would be humbled by our own estate and uh, uh, just full of joy in that uh, we have the opportunity to know you. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. So I've been, I was thinking as I was going through this, I've been teaching on the sovereignty of God for, <clears throat> gosh, 30 probably about 32 years, well, probably about 35 years. Um, I'm only 49, 48, I'm only 48. And so um, it's something that uh, I found out as a teenager, not a lot of people really had a whole lot of respect for. And I went to a Christian school growing up. And so I've got a lot of baggage when I bring this chapter that I'm going to try and leave behind and just teach on what's actually in the text. And I think that's important because one of the themes as we're going through Genesis, or one of the, not one of the themes, one of the the things I'm trying to teach as we go through Genesis is this idea that the Old Testament stands just fine on itself. It doesn't need the New Testament to explain it as much as we dare think it does. And uh, so I think if, I, if I'm faithful to the text, I'll stay in Genesis 27 uh, predominantly. And uh, if anything, we'll go to later texts to help explain those texts better um, rather than vice versa. Um, just I, I jotted down some of the things that uh, we're going to see here in Genesis 20, really 20. 5 through 27, we kind of built the foundation of what we're going to walk through now. We built the foundation last week. But we're going to see that God's sovereign will supersedes all human design, but operates within the will of man. That God is sovereign and man is responsible for his actions is basically what that's saying. The, yes, for, for man's own actions. God's will is set from eternity past before man's will or designs. That man has the freedom to choose his path, but that path is in the sovereign will of God, even if it is not his decreed will. That God has a sovereign will and a decreed will. The will of what is to take place, being his sovereign will, and the will of what he desires to take place, being his decreed will. So an example of that would be where God uh, saving all who are in Christ is part of his sovereign will. There are none in who, in, who are in Christ who will not be saved. Um, this would be the eternal security of the believer speaks directly to that. But God also wills that, that all should come to repentance, but we know not all do. And that's an example of his decreed will. God does not overcome the will of man, but uses it as a means to bring about his end. He is not the author of sin. And then God is to be exalted for carrying out his sovereign will and thanked when he allows us to be part of his decreed will. So 
We're going to touch on each one of those, and I'm going to come back to them as we touch on them, as we see them in the text. And we're going to go back to Genesis 25, 24 through 26 is where we're going to start. Um, actually, back up into uh, 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body and one people shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb and the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment and they named him Esau. And afterwards his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So God here explains the war going on in the womb of Rebekah between the twins, and he declares to her what the plan is. So if this was just a prophet talking to Rebekah, This would be a prediction of what the future is, but this is actually God himself talking. So this is beyond just prophecy. It is that, but it's also the Almighty declaring what his will is with these two boys. He is explaining what his plan is going forward. You have to remember that God is the one who has authored the future, and he is the one who supplies the means for which it will take place. So this, this goes beyond that. Um, and it is amazing that we here have God speaking directly to Rebecca about what's going on. So God's will is set forth even before, is set from eternity past before man's will or design. And we see that because these boys hadn't even had a chance to think rational thoughts yet. And God has already determined what's going to take place. Then when we uh, look further, we see that the the boys grow up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see Isaac's love for Esau because of the game he would bring to him and cook for him. Isaac we're going to see not only here, but in 27 Love to fulfill his appetites. But you have to remember that this follows right after God tells him who these two boys are. Isaac is fully aware that Esau is not the chosen one, that it's, that it's Jacob. And we see this love for Esau that Isaac develops that we would think, well, this is nothing wrong. I mean, you, you are going to, people personality-wise, get along one better with the other, and, that's, and he likes tasty food. Um, What's the problem here? We're going to see that there's actually a big problem as as we see this play out in chapter 27. And it says that Jacob was loved by Rebekah, but no no reason here is truly given. Um, We can conjecture a lot, but the only thing in the text between Rebekah and Jacob at this point would be that Jacob is the one who will rule the other one. And Rebecca is aware of that. And again, we can conjecture, well, it's because he, he liked to stay in the tents and cook game. Um, or maybe it's because he's peaceful and his mom likes, is a civilizing influence in her children. That's certainly possible as well. 
But Rebecca here is certainly on the side of, of what God has chosen. So man has the freedom to choose his path, but that path is within the sovereign will of God, uh, even if it's not within his decreed will. And, and God has decreed that Jacob is the one, and we're seeing this relationship build between Esau and Isaac that's going to come square against that. I would say that Jacob and Esau, and this is conjecture, but I think we're going to see later in Esau's response to the blessing not coming to him, I think they were probably very much aware of the promise that God said. If God came and talked to your mother and told her what your life was going to be like, I think she would have a really hard time not telling you. So, oh, by the way, the Lord of the whole universe talked to me about you, but I'm going to keep that secret. I think there was probably at some point some knowledge in these young men that the, the prophecy that God had given, and we'll build on that in a little bit. Esau chose then, if we go to 27 through 34, and we read that story like we did last week, we see that Esau sells his birthright for a, for a bowl of stew. Um, he chose to give up the birthright, and Jacob took advantage of his brother's situation and impetuous nature to secure what God had already declared. It is interesting that food is at the center of both this story and both, both the, the birthright and the blessing. The appetite of, of Esau here and the appetite of Isaac are both front and center and, and are what revolves around this. Um, the handing everything over to Jacob. So Esau chooses to give up his birthright, something that was totally his, and through this, Jacob is able to take advantage of his brother's situation where Jacob probably should have said, no, you can have the stew. Don't sell something of that great value. But we know what God had sovereignly decreed in these lives, and now God is using Esau's decision to sell his own birthright for a bowl of stew to carry out what his sovereign will is. So God uses the will of man to accomplish his sovereign will. But both of these boys are responsible for their actions. Esau loses his birthright, and Jacob, one could say, usurps or swindles him out of his birthright, knowing full well he's taking advantage of his brother in his hunger and his impetuous nature. The reaction of Rebecca and Jacob when they find out that this happens. They're not there, but you know they find out. You know at some point these boys let it out that, hey, I, I get the birthright. Jacob would be, he sold it to me and Esau's like, well, yeah, I did. And you have to imagine that the two of them immediately think back to the prophecy. If the boys don't know about it, Rebecca and Isaac certainly do, and they're immediately taken back to what God said about these two, and they see the plan of God working itself out. And we have here Isaac, who loves Esau, seeing Esau falling into the plan of God, probably against what Isaac would, well, we know it's against what Isaac would prefer. 
So God does not overcome the will of man, but uses the will of man, uses this, these decisions by Esau and Jacob as a means to bring about God's end. But that does not mean he's the author of sin. These boys act as they act per their own will and per their, per their own volition. Imperfect man operating within the decreed will of God is a gift from God. We see when these boys are left to their own devices, they don't do what is right. They don't do what is good. For that to take place is a work of God in their lives, and we'll see that play out even more in the future. In fact, I think that's why we see Genesis 26 fall where it does in the middle of this story. It, should, it seems kind of abrupt that we have Genesis uh, the second half of Genesis 25, the introduction of Jacob and Esau, then all of a sudden we're taken into quarreling over wells and a covenant with Abimelech. And we see <clears throat> this and we have to ask ourselves, why is this smack dab in the middle of the story of Jacob and Esau? Well, we see in, in Genesis 26 that Isaac is pushed around by the Philistines, but God's will is to bless him. The desire of the Philistines does not thwart the plans of God to bless Isaac. The plans of God to give Isaac's descendants this land. The good in Isaac's life comes from only from God. Isaac still gets up and digs new wells. As we read through that story, they kept on filling in his wells. Isaac still gets up and does the work and digs the wells. But ultimately, the success comes when there's a, there's finally, he moves so far away from the Philistines, the Philistines are okay with where he's at now, and they set up, and God continues to bless Isaac, and they come and they, they end up making a covenant, and in the middle of the covenant, once they're done exchanging oaths, the men come in and said, hey, we found water even here, even where they've pushed us out to the farthest reaches of the, the land that is good that we had settled in, and sure enough, there's now water here. And that's what I think we see here is that we have Isaac who continues to try and stay in the land, stay where he's supposed to be, continue doing what he's supposed to do, and staying faithful. And then we have God ultimately being the one who blesses Isaac and grants him the water that he needs for his growing nation that is now beginning so God is to be exalted for carrying out his sovereign will. When God does the things that he says he's going to do, we give him praise. But even more so, we are to thank him when he allows us to take part in his decreed will. Here we have Isaac who's taking part in the will of God and doing everything right. Isaac, who we're going to see fail miserably here in the next chapter, is allowed to take part in the decreed will of God. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And God blesses him. And then it ends with this in 34 and 35. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, and Bezameth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau disregards the will of God and marries the Hittite women. He disregards the will of his parents. His parents clearly do not want him to marry these women. 
And he's going to reap the consequences of these actions. Now, immediately the consequence is a rift between himself and his parents. He's free to choose his path, but that path is still within the sovereign will of God, even if not God's decreed will. God's decreed will would be, it's better to marry the people back where your ancestors are from, but you've, you've refused that. But don't think that somehow you've broken the will of God, what his decreed will is, or what his, I'm sorry, what his sovereign will is. And that brings us to Genesis 27. So 25 and 26 is the groundwork for how it is, for, for what's going to take place in the lives of these boys and the, the context on which it, in which it takes place. We've seen that Esau has continued to, uh, to be someone who isn't the best choice, but we really haven't found a, a great hero in this story of somebody who deserves to be praised and looked up to for what they've done. But clearly Esau is demonstrating that he is not the one, which would align with God's will that it's, it's Jacob is the one that's going to carry on the line. So we get to chapter 27, and God's plan is to have Jacob proceed with the line, to have him marry from the line of Terah, the, the ancestral, ancestral line of Abraham himself, and to receive the blessing, and even, or even though he is not the firstborn, he is to receive the birthright. That's what God's plan is. We've seen him receive the birthright so far, and now we're going to see how it is that God works to assure he will marry correctly and receive the blessing that is his, just as God promised before they were born. God's going to use the schemes and design of, designs of flawed, sinful man to accomplish his plan. So 27, 1 through 4. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold now, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me that I, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. And it certainly would have been common in, in that culture that as you approach the end of your days, you would hand off to the next generation the blessing of, of um, what the expectation is for that child going forward, especially the oldest child would be in charge of caring for the rest of the family, and therefore the blessing of the father would be, it's basically handing over the reins of the family. It's a little bit different than the birthright, which would be more of a monetary uh, thing where the younger children would get enough to, to, to live on, but the oldest child would receive all of the, the wealth of the father. We saw that with Abraham and handing that down to Isaac as well. What is interesting is that Isaac here is going directly against the will of God, that God himself spoke to him. He is taking the word of God and completely disregarding it here. He's going to bless Esau because he's his favorite. Again, that's, what the, that's the best we can get out of this is he loves, he loves his son Esau because he makes good food. And, and therefore, he's going to go against the will of God. And don't think for one second that we don't 
get tempted to go against what we know God's will is for silly little things that have very little lasting benefit to us. His mind is set on, uh, Isaac's mind is set on his own desires and appetites. Again, make sure you, you see yourself in the failures and you'll learn more than if you see yourself on, uh, in this and say, boy, which is the best person here? Because I think that's the person I'm most like and I would be in this story. That's not how these things work. It is interesting that Isaac doesn't inform Rebecca of any of this. I mean, Rebecca knows full well what the, what, the, uh, what the plan of God is as well. She overhears this. She isn't, she isn't in the room. It looks, she's probably standing on the other side of a tent wall, listening to what's going on. But as far as these two know, as far as Isaac and Esau know, she's not included in this conversation doesn't include Jacob in it either. I mean, Jacob actually has the birthright. That, and you would think on such an occasion, you would want the whole family gathered around as Isaac hands off the blessing to the oldest son to carry on for him in his soon-to-be absence. God does not overcome the will of man, but uses it as a means to bring about his end. But he is not the author of sin, and that's what we're seeing here. That's one of the tenets of the sovereignty of God that we see play out here. So in verse 5, Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she gave the savory fruit and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. So Rebecca comes up with a plan to make sure that God's will is fulfilled. Right? Kind of. Um, it doesn't seem like a very, a very uh, it seems like a pretty sneaky thing to do, and I would say it is. God does not need Rebecca and Jacob to step in here to complete his will. He's going to use them to make this happen, but he doesn't need that to happen. God can carry this out on his own. Rebecca is lacking faith that God can accomplish his will and believes that she's the one who needs to do that for him. 
And she's willing to break the rules or bend the rules. She's, she's rationalizing her behavior and she's um, involving her, her son in this whole deception. The consequence for Rebecca is she's going to lose both her sons. Esau is going to feel the rejection of his mother and end up moving south. And Jacob is going to have to flee. So she's going to pay for her actions. She's going to have to be responsible. It's going to carry out the will of God, but she is going to be responsible for what takes place. And she's going to have to deal with the consequences for what she's done. It is interesting that in the deception of her husband, Rebecca will use Isaac's appetites to accomplish this. Not only his appetite for the food, but all of his senses are going to be involved except for his sight. His sight is gone, but she's going to use his sense of touch and his sense of smell and his sense of taste to deceive her husband and accomplish her plan. So then we turn to Jacob and we wonder, well, where's, where's Jacob in all of this? Is he just a pawn being used by his parents or is he part of the problem and and we see that his reasoning back down in verse 11 Jacob answered his mother Rebecca behold Esau my brother is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man perhaps my father will feel me then I will be a deceiver in his sight and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing his main concern in this plan is wait a second if this fails I'm going to get cursed I know this blessing thing's a big deal, but a curse would be even worse. Why, you know, I'm not sure it's worth the risk here, Mom. But she convinces him and makes him a part of the plan. So he has no concern for Esau or tricking his father or sinning through deception to accomplish God's will. So everyone here involved was given the freedom to choose their path, but that path was still in the sovereign will of God, even if they are not within his decreed will. It is kind of interesting. We have Isaac and Esau going against, trying to circumvent the sovereign will of God, the, the God saying this is what is going to take place. And we have Rebecca and and Jacob going against his decreed will, which is, has more to do with the sin they're committing and deceiving and their lack of kindness towards siblings and husband and all of that. But in light of all of that taking place, we're going to see the will of God carried about or carried out. Verse 18, then he came to his father and he said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. And Isaac says to his son, how is it that you have, have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether or not, or whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. 
He did not recognize him because the hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game and I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him. And we'll get to the blessing here in a second. So if we were curious about where Jacob stood earlier now, it's clarified for us. He lies about his identity. And then, even worse, he invokes God, God's involvement in what's going on. His father asks him, who are you? And he says, I am Esau, your firstborn, a lie. And then when Isaac says, how did you do this so quickly? Jacob invokes God and says, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Now, it's really interesting that that statement is really loaded, right? What's God about to cause to happen to him? What's he going to get? The blessing. And who is it that's in charge of him getting the blessing? Who is it that from the very beginning said this will be his? It's God. So he's being very honest in that. That's certainly not what he has in mind here. But because the Lord your God has caused it to happen to me. It isn't because of his deception or anything like that that this is about to happen to him. It's because of what God has done. And it's a little twist in this story that it's, it's important to note because that's what this story is supposed to be teaching us. So he lies to his dad about who he is and then he invokes God in the lie to make it even more believable. Isaac eats and he drinks his fill and then he gets on with the blessing. Rebecca's plan of the goat skin on the neck and the hands. By the way, goats are hairy. Just Esau is a hairy boy. Um, and so the, the, the touch was there and then the smell. And something that I always kind of just glossed over and didn't ever really realize was her going to get the garment that actually smelled like Esau. It probably was one of his... Uh, best robes that would have been kept there. She would have had access to it and she dresses Jacob in it. So um, we see this picture in 26 of Isaac pulling him close, 26 and 27, pulling Jacob close and kissing him and smelling him and feeling his neck, feeling his hands. They are, they are this far apart from one another and Jacob is involved in deceiving his father over something as huge as the family blessing. But the plan works. So we see this blessing given. His father Isaac said to him, please come to me. Um, I'm sorry, 27, he came close, kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son. It is the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. And here's the blessing. Now may God give to you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth 
and abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. So it's, it's written, I'd say, in three stanzas. The first part, see the smell of my son, is like the smell of the field which the Lord is blessed, I would say is kind of a preamble to this whole blessing. Um, and it's really a rather fascinating blessing because we first have this idea about uh, the dew of heaven. May God give to you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and new wine. That dew of heaven, the abundance of the earth and of the grain takes us back, I think, to the beginning of Genesis, right? We have the mist coming up and watering all the land. We have, um, that's back in Genesis 2.6, but we have this whole notion of uh, the earth providing for man and sin causing the, the fall of that, where the earth now is against man, and it's from the sweat of the brow that he now must bring forth the grain. And then we see the new wine, and the new wine is, is associated throughout the Old Testament, but the new wine is associated in this culture with um, the, the fatness of a culture or the, the blessing that's on a culture, the richness of a culture is associated with new wine. And then we have, may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Actually, jump back real quick on on the dew. I also found uh, later in Proverbs 19.12, a king's wrath is like a roaring lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. And then we have this idea that uh, God give you, um, I'm sorry, the, the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Uh, Psalms 86, 8 through 10, There is no one like you among the gods, Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made will come and worship before you, Lord, and they will glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. This is almost a messianic foreshadowing that we're seeing here. The nations coming and bowing down before Jacob. It's not just his brother that he is master over, but it's all the nations will come to him and bow down. And, and your mind as a believer has to go, if you have a knowledge of Scripture at all, has to go to Christ and being the King of kings and Lord of lords as all nations come to him. You have to remember what Genesis is about from Genesis 3 on after the fall. We're looking forward to the seed. And you have to realize that what this whole thing is, this last three chapters of Genesis, is that seed coming through Jacob. It comes through Isaac instead of Ishmael, and then it becomes through Jacob instead of Esau. So I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that this is the promise of what is the seed to come. This idea of setting things right so that the earth again gives forth its grain and new wine. This picture of early creation of the dew of heaven. This picture of all the nations coming and bowing down. Not only looking forward to Christ, but looking back when we saw nations actually formed after the Tower of Babel. And the, the 
the craziness that followed that. And then we see the master of your brothers. And we'll touch on that more when we get to the blessing that Esau is given. And it ends there with, Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. What is that from? Where have we heard that before? Yeah, so if we look back in Genesis 12, 3, that's part of the Abrahamic covenant. That's part of what God promises to Abraham. Well, why is that as part of this blessing? This is, this is Isaac in direct opposition to what God has said trying to put the Abrahamic blessing, portions of that blessing, onto Esau. Instead, it's Jacob that's receiving it. Isaac here is worse than any of them. Isaac is not the innocent party here at all. Isaac is trying to take what God had promised and shift it from one son to the other son. It is interesting to note with brothers being blessed. Does anyone know the story of when Joseph's two sons are blessed by Jacob? Jacob here who's receiving the blessing from his older brother is the oldest. Does anyone remember what happens when Joseph brings his sons in? He switches his hands and and he says, no, dad, that's not, (laughs) you got the wrong ones there. And he says, no, I don't. I've got the right ones. Don't worry about it. And it's really interesting that that falls like that, but we're going to cover that later, so I don't, I don't have to spend the time on it now. So we have this messianic foreshadowing, but we also have this foreshadowing, or this, this statement that comes directly from the Abrahamic covenant as a sign that that's what this blessing was all about. This isn't just a dad giving well wishes to a son. This is culturally moving the line of descent, the proper line, who's in charge of the family from there on, from one generation to the next. But it's also, from a biblical perspective, it's moving that Abrahamic covenant is now, according to Isaac, going to go through Esau. Except he's got the wrong son, and he gives the blessing to the wrong son. I don't think that that Isaac is acting in faith here. And I think that's important, because we're about to we're going to end up seeing that Hebrews says he acts in faith when he blesses his sons. I don't think that's happened here yet. We're going to get to that. So, verse 30. Now it came about, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it all before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. 
He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now, as for you then, what can I do, my son? So Esau arrives a minute too late. And you can imagine that he's out preparing the food while this whole interaction is going on between uh, Jacob and Isaac. And that interaction between the two of them, the, the mom had to be standing outside the tent going, oh, come on, get on with the blessing because he's making the food and he's going to be here at any minute. Hurry up. And it really does happen. Bang, bang, bang. Um, Esau is right back in there, and he arrives, but he arrives just a minute too late. Again, God's will taking place, and when Isaac realizes what has happened, I don't think he just realizes that he's blessed the wrong son, but I think he realizes that God's plan has been accomplished. If you look in verse 33, Isaac trembles violently, and I think the trembling there... um, has less to do with having just made a mistake and blessed the wrong son, because what would it be to revoke a blessing? Yeah, we can say culturally you can't really do that, but these aren't honest people here. Um, He says, he asks him, who was it that, uh, or I'm sorry, Isaac trembles violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate it all before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. I think here is where we see Isaac realize who it was. He realized that his first inclination, that it was Jacob that came to him, initially by the sound of his voice, was correct. And here, Jacob real, or Isaac realizes the game is up. His attempt to supplant the will of God with his own has failed. I think that's why he trembles violently. I think it's coming to the knowledge that he's been caught in the act and God has set things right. Because he says here, yes, and he shall be blessed. He acknowledges the fact that it is going forward. That the blessing that was put upon him by the prophecy of God, the true blessing of the will of God, before the boys were even born, before either one of them had screwed up so badly, that is what's going forward. And he actually gives the full blessing and affirms the blessing that he has given when he says, yes, and he shall be blessed. And then we see the reaction of Esau. Oh, by the way, Hebrews eleven twenty says, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. And you think, well, how is it by faith when he did it by accident? Faith isn't just an accident, and we know that. We know even though our faith is not our own, but it is a gift of God that none of us get to boast, we see that his faith is not just an accident, or his blessing, I'm sorry, his faith is not just an accident. I think the true blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob happens here at the end of 33, where he affirms the blessing that he's been given. But it dawns on Esau as well that the will of God has taken place. 
that there is no further blessing for him. And I think that evidence is given there in verse 36. He's not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times. Well, why is he named Jacob? How did, when did he get the name? When he was born. Yeah, he comes out and he grabs onto the heel um, of his brother and comes out. So that's when, that's when we're being taken back to now. So was he not rightly named Jacob, you know, back when he was born and he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? I think he totally know, he totally understands that the will of God here has taken place, that there is no further blessing for him. He and his father's design to get by with this blessing with no one else in the family knowing about it has failed miserably. Are the, are the, is the blessing and the birthright, are they inextricably linked? Like, so no, at this, point, at this point, it could have been the birthright would have been, you get all the cattle, your brother's going to get this little flock so he can sustain himself. That type of thing. Where the blessing would have been actually, we see the blessing is actually the future benefit of the family. You're going to carry on the family name. You get the Abraham, my father's covenant with God came to me. It's coming to you. And the future of what's included in that is all yours. That's more what the blessing is. Got to find my spot on here. Um, so Isaac realized what is, what has taken place and he even connects us back to their birth and to that prophecy, um, invoking the name, the meaning of the name of Jacob and why he was named. And he ties it all together for us. The birthright and the blessing are going to Jacob as promised by God. So we see that God's sovereign will supersedes all human design, but operates within the will of man. That God is sovereign, but also man is responsible for his actions. I think the responsibility of Isaac in all of this deception, again, I think he's the worst of all of them, is that trembling violently, I, con- I think, comes because he realizes he is responsible for what he has done. I think that's a true fear that he has. It isn't just that his plan was foiled. Most of us, when our plans are foiled, we meet that with anger at those around us. This is, this is understanding his own guilt, I believe. So then we go down to uh, verse 38 through 40. Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of heaven from above by your sword you shall live and by and your brothers shall uh, you shall serve but it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck so we see here that Isaac blesses Esau with what remained and with what God had planned It's contrasted to the blessing that Jacob gets in verses 28 and 29. Now we see he's being forced away from the fertility of the earth. He's being, if you use, go all the way back, we're seeing the language of of early Genesis. We're seeing away from the garden. You're being pushed away from the fertility of the earth. 
away from the dew from heaven. God's not just going to cause everything to be great and awesome for you. You're going to have to live by the sword. And you're going to have to serve your brother. But it will come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. Now some would say, well, that comes when Jacob returns and apologizes for what he did to his brother and gives him some animals. And I, I, I don't think that reverses the blessing. Because the blessing stays in place. The curse stays in place here. For it's, it's a blessing. But I think that probably what we're looking at is in 2 Chronicles 28, 16 through 19. And God is going to punish King Ahaz and he's going to use uh, Edom to do it. And Edom's going to break free and actually come in to Israel and uh, invade. And I think that's where we see this take place. So it does happen in the future. Um, but I don't think it's just a, a picture of, of some sort of uh, made right with his brother. I think it's actually, um, since it's talking about the future generations in both these blessings, I think that's what is being referred to here, if I were pushed on it. So verse 41, So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Why should I bereave to both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm tired of living because of the daughters. Or we'll cover 46 in a second. This whole notion that, or, or we touched on this earlier, this idea that because Rebecca took things into her own hands, she's going to lose both her sons. Esau is going to chase off Jacob. And the alternative was that we would have Cain and Abel all over again, right? This whole idea of one brother being upset with the other one and killing and being and then the mother being bereft of both of her boys would happen all over again. But what's interesting is the push here to send Jacob back to her relatives, back to her brother Laban. Again, fulfilling what God's plan is. So in anger, Esau pushes Jacob away, but he's pushing Jacob directly into the sovereign will of God, of continuing the line, of marrying within that line. The scheming of Rebekah tricks Isaac into sending Jacob away. We see that um, in 46, Rebekah says to Isaac, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? What's the point, Isaac? God's promised us the land. He's promised us nations will come out of us. What's the point if he ends up marrying one of these Canaanite women? It all ends here. Why don't we 
uh, why don't we send him away? Why don't we send him back up to my brother Laban? So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram to the house of Bethel, your mother's father, and from there take yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away and went, he went to Paden Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So we have here that the anger of Esau, which is wrong, pushes Jacob away. We see Rebekah, rather than going to Isaac and saying, look, Esau's going to kill him. We, we need to stop Esau. She's, she, again, I, don't, I suspect that she doesn't trust that Isaac will act appropriately to save Jacob here. Um, but anyway, she uses the reason, hey, we don't want Jacob to marry anybody here. Let's send him up and send him away. So she deceives her husband again and tricks him into sending Jacob away. Isaac, though, I think we see has learned all the way from that whole trembling incident when he realized what happened. Um, we see him truly bless his son now even more clearly and understands what his role is. His role isn't just in the family. His role is providing the seed that is to come. The craziness that is a human experience brought about, brought about by our own sinfulness, by our own deception and our own lies our own anger. And he sends his son away with further blessing and again reiterates some of the blessings of Abraham, concluding that this is part of the line, you are the one who the seed is going to come through. And he even includes the promised land as part of the part of the blessing, but, but with the idea that they are just sojourning there at this time but someday it will be theirs. He hasn't given up that hope. And then finally, Esau in verse 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paden Aram to take to himself a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paden Aram. So Jacob did what he was supposed to do. This is how the whole thing should have taken place from the very beginning. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. So the wives he already had were displeasing to his father. So Esau went to Ishmael and married. Besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebioth. So we see him marrying within the line of Abraham at least as a way of appeasing his father. He recognizes, Esau himself here is recognizing that Jacob is the chosen one, that he's obeying his parents now by going up to find a wife where he's supposed to find them um, from the, the line that he's supposed to be marrying into, that he's obeying them and following the plan of God. 
But still in doing so, he demonstrates he's not the one. His behavior continues to define him. He does it his own way. He separate, um, He tries to do better, but he still is marrying into the line of Ishmael, taking on two more wives. He's going to bear the responsibility for the actions that he takes here. God is still sovereign, but we are still responsible for our actions. Really quick, Romans uh, 9, 10 through 15 touch on this, but it touches on this in, in light of Malachi 1, 2 through 5. And I just want to read this because this gives you the complete, here are the, here are the outcomes for Esau, a player in carrying out the sovereign will of God, yet living up to the implications of his own actions, having to bear that responsibility. Malachi 1, 2 through 5. I have loved you, said the Lord, talking to Israel. But they say, how have you loved us? Was Esau not Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now this is the important part. This is, this is if you ever wonder, okay, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. What does it mean when God says, I have hated Esau? And here's what it is. And I have made his mountains a desolation and given his inheritance to the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says we have been beaten down, but they will return and build up the ruins. This is what the Lord of armies says. They may build, but I will tear down and people will call them the territory of wickedness and the people with whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this and you will say, the Lord be exalted beyond the border of Israel. So God had a plan for these two boys. Their actions were not perfect on either end, but both of them bear some of the responsibility for their own actions. But their actions do not at all supersede the will of God. God is still completely sovereign. Even when we don't follow his declared will, his, his sovereign will, the will over what will take place is still in place and we cannot overcome that. Look at that. I timed it just right so I don't have to do any questions. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to enjoy your word, Lord. And I pray that we would see the truths that are declared in these stories and, and not go beyond them, not go beyond the truths that are given us, uh, Lord, for then we venture in things that we do not understand and are not our purview to discuss, Lord. Instead, we must take all these things by faith and know and understand that while you are sovereign, you are also good and loving and kind. And that, again, Lord, you would desire all men to turn to you and, and repent. But we know that without you, Lord, none of us would. And so I pray, Lord, for those who do not know you, who are outside of the will that you have declared, that they worship your Son and follow him, Lord, and that they repent and turn to you and that you graciously grant them every good gift through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.